in Nashville, Tennessee, and we are live! <laughs> and the Talking Feds fans are the best fans because we're only two minutes away from the opening pitch in game four. Nobody leave, and you guys are here with us. Welcome to Talking Feds, a prosecutor's roundtable that brings together prominent former federal officials for a dynamic discussion of the most important legal topics of the day. I'm Harry Littman. I'm a former United States Attorney and Deputy Assistant Attorney General and a current Washington Post columnist. We're looking forward to doing two panels this weekend, both on the ultra-timely theme, Is the Dam Finally Breaking? <laughs> One short month ago, The, the president and Republicans seem to have beaten back all efforts to um, shine a serious light on presidential misconduct, much less have any real tangible possibility of a, of a removal. But it was a month ago today that we learned of the whistleblower complaint that set out allegations of broad abuse of the president's power that have now brought Trump to the moment of greatest crisis in his presidency. And to discuss, I'm thrilled to welcome three first-timers to Talking Feds. Maya Wiley, who everyone already knows, but nevertheless, I'll tell you, is a university professor at the New School a nationally renowned civil rights attorney, a legal analyst for NBC News and MSNBC, previously an assistant U.S. attorney in the Southern District of New York, and counsel to New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio. Welcome, Maya. What took you so long? <laughs> I, Harry, you didn't ask. <laughs> Next, Joe Lockhart joins us on Talking Feds. Joe? You, as you, you all probably know, was press secretary under President Clinton from 1998 to 2000. A tumultuous time that gives him much personal experience as almost anyone with the political, political turmoil that we are about to experience. He previously was press secretary to a number of prominent officials, including Walter Mondale, Michael Dukakis, And he's either the man to call when you're in an existential crisis or he's a professional glutton for punishment because his communications consulting firm, Glover Park Group, worked for Facebook from 2011 to 2012 and the NFL. So he and I actually met on the Kerry campaign when I was general counsel in Pennsylvania, though he was too high up to remember. Welcome, Joe. Thank, Thank you, you very much for being here. Finally, Jill Wine-Banks, as many of you know, all right, number one, number two, number three, is an MSNBC legal analyst, but that ain't all. She was the first woman to serve as an organized crime prosecutor at the DOJ in Washington, one of the three assistant Watergate special prosecutors, again, the only woman, appointed as general counsel of the U.S. Army. That would be a whole nother podcast. That's a tricky <laughs> position. By President Carter, served as Illinois' first solicitor general and also has had a long career in private practice. And she is generally considered, I'd say, to be the grand dame of the MSNBC commentator world. Welcome, Jill. All right, let's dive in. 
The White House finds itself having to fight now on many fronts. They're mostly on the defense. They're mostly losing ground. Um, to capitalize on Joe's experience in particular, let's start with a tighter focus on the White House and the president himself. It's really not clear that anybody is actually at the helm. There seems to be no war room, nobody in charge. And to the extent Trump is in charge of his own defense, he seems characteristically angry and erratic. So all of us, but Joe, let me start with you. What's the White House doing right now, if anything, and what are they doing wrong? Well, I think you're right about there not being a war room or an organized effort. They are, uh, they are held hostage to the whims of the president. He's running all of this. They don't have any of the normal um, channels to use uh, to, to get a message out. There's no White House briefing. Uh, they don't seem to have a surrogate operation. Um, and, you know, I, I think the focus of this as a communications problem is a little misplaced. Um, it's, it's not a communication problem. It's a Trump problem. He has created it. He makes it worse. Um, you know, our strategy in 1998 right. couldn't, yeah, like? it, yeah, it couldn't be further from what they're doing now. I, you know, you, I can count on one finger the number of times the president went out and talked about um, uh, the impeachment process and the investigation and Ken Starr. And and that it, wasn't such a great. And thing. it was a disaster. Um, <laughs> but that was one time in nine months. And trust me, the president wanted to talk about it, and he had strong feelings about it. And some of us privately heard a lot about it. But the whole strategy was to make sure that he focused on the people's business, on governing, and was a full-time president, not someone distracted and obsessed and self-pitying and self-indulgent. And who was enforcing that? Who was reining him in? Um, I, I, we did it in shifts. <laughs> no fewer than three people were allowed on a shift because one person would get killed. Uh, no, you know, listen, uh, the president, you know, no staff can enforce uh, long-term a strategy on a principle that doesn't agree with the strategy. Uh, and it took great uh, self-restraint on the president's uh, uh, behalf to, to to keep his mouth shut. And for Bill Clinton, that was a hard thing to do. Um, but he did. Uh, and it worked. His, you know, his approval rating went up 10 points between the impeachment hearings opening and the, uh, the impeachment hearings in the House being impeached in, in the House. So, and it, you know, they went from 63 to 73. This is, these aren't Trump numbers. Um, so, uh, and, and Trump has done just the opposite. He has sent the message to the country that the single most important thing going on in the country right now is the attack on him. And that whether you don't have health care or whether you don't have a job or whether your kid's school is falling apart, none of that matters until he gets taken care of. And as a political strategy, it's a terrible strategy. Uh, Jill, do you actually remember how it was? In, you know, we, I, I, others who are old enough remember Ron Ziegler out there trying to manage communications for the Nixon White House in 74. I know you weren't inside it, very much the opposite. But were they, what was their sort of strategy and war structure if you, uh, to the extent you gleaned it? The structure and the strategy was pretty much the same as Donald Trump. Attack the prosecutor. They used the words witch hunt and hoax the same way during Watergate. And was it Nixon himself out front or who, who was in charge? No, Nixon, well, Nixon did say all that. Nixon had, of course, his enemies list and he went ahead and implemented it with let's get the IRS to investigate all the people on my enemies list, which were mostly 
Democratic donors and journalists. Mary McGrory is the only woman who was on that list. She was a journalist. And it was a horrible situation back then. But we in the prosecutor's office pretty much ignored it. We just went about our business and did our job. And that's what I think has to happen now, is Congress has to keep about its business. Not only the business of the people by passing legislation. And by the way, Congress was able during Watergate to pass a lot of good legislation. And actually, Richard Nixon actually was in charge of a lot of good things that happened. The EPA was created under him. Title IX was passed under him. China was opened by him. I don't see any accomplishments right now of any equivalent nature in this White House that benefit all the people in this room. Maybe they benefit him, for sure they benefit him, and his most close colleagues, but they aren't helping with education, they aren't helping with voter suppression, they aren't helping to protect us from the Russians right now who are doing the same thing for this upcoming election that they did in the last. And we they're, have and to they're get not to helping that. with civil rights, says oh. Nixon. I mean, Nixon's never looked as good as he has these last two years. But, but you know, something I remember that was of a piece was the attack on the press, which I thought was very yes. vicious at the time, you know, Katie Graham, et cetera. Uh, I won't finish that sentence. But that's a big <laughs> feature, Maya, of, of the, the, the Trump, uh, the, not just the Trump, but the Trump surrogate attacks on Fox, the whole notion of the uh, conduit of the information, the press being in on the, uh, the scheme to bring him down. Wait a second, Harry, you have to finish that sentence. Katie Graham's going to get her tit caught in a ringer, said, said Nixon himself. Yeah. Um, uh, but it's what almost it, as bad as grabbing pussy. Yeah. Our, <laughs> should we vote on that? Wow. I, See, I wouldn't have I even been able to say a word. To chill. But, 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 but Maya, what, so, I mean, look, in so many ways, we... Trump critics have been flummoxed over the last many months, and things we thought were were um, ineffective, if not buffoonish, have been effective. What about this broadside against the press? Is it generally continue to be an effective sort of arrow in his quiver, uh, or is that going to um, abate now that the sort of facts of the matter seem to be coming established? Well, you know, let me answer that um, by saying yes and yes, and no and no. <laughs> by which I mean, first of all, Fox News, one of the important things that's happening is there are actually a few people on Fox News challenging the Trump narrative, right? Chris Wallace has not given folks a pass. And I think that is important because one of the problems we have with this discussion about what are facts, what do we know, what is speculation, what is opinion, is that we're not all consuming news from the same sources. So, and, and Jill and I, have, we had this conversation a while back, which is, you know, during the time of Nixon, folks were getting their facts, generally they were getting the same facts, right? No matter what network Three they networks, watched. Huntley, Brinkley, right? Yeah, exactly. But, but now you really, unfortunately, have people who are in media markets who, if they're only watching Fox News and not watching Fox News and maybe some other stations or not reading or listening to radio stations that have a broader, more diverse set of discussions about what we're learning, 
you might not necessarily know all that's really happening in this. So I think it's, it's complicated by that factor. There are some folks who are not going to necessarily see or get the facts in the way that we are. Um, I want to do I, a shout out, by the way, to Chris Wallace, his yeah, interview of Mulvaney. Yeah, it's that maybe was the just, best moment in yeah, journalism in a, 2019. Absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. But, I, but, I, but I do think the, the, this, this goes back in part to what is the strategy for impeachment hearings and trials and the trial moving forward, because I think on one hand, we have a lot of very clear public information widely available that in and of itself, I would argue, is sufficient evidence to vote articles of impeachment, right? Put aside what happens in trial, but certainly sufficient to vote articles of impeachment. I think the issue becomes how much consumption, how much opportunity do people get to hear from the actual witnesses? Because remember, now we have a situation where those witnesses are part of the Trump administration. So unlike the attacks on the news saying fake news, they're lying to you, it becomes a lot harder to say you're, that his own appointees are lying. Yeah. That becomes more challenging. And I just wanted to lift up an additional point that you know Joe was making. I mean, the other thing that we have happening, though, that is not that is that is, I think, somewhat directly related to what may happen in the impeachment process, are all the other unforced errors of lawlessness of the Trump administration. So the G7 summit. I mean, and rather, he's not only not focusing on issue, bread and butter issues for the American people, which is a big mistake. He's making other large mistakes that make him look corrupt. Look corrupt? Look, I'm being... See, this is why I sit next to... No, but I mean, it is really true. The record of accomplishment, it's, it's, it's puzzling. How, you know, we just found out today, for instance, we've had, we're, we're looking at a trillion-dollar deficit, and, you, you know, even if you uh, channel it... I, I want to get back to how they're going to... A gonna 17% it. increase in 12 months. Yeah, but I, I, I want to ask Joe... I, let me, let me okay, return I, in a I second. want to follow up on something Joe said and something well, Maya said. Okay, you got it in a okay. second. I, I want to ask Joe, because I assume when you're press secretary, you might have thought it sometimes, but the last thing you would have wanted to do was malign the fourth estate, and it actually seems oh. like an article of faith, not just of Trump and the, but the the press, the various press secretaries. How, how have you, you know, reacted seeing in the last year the press secretary get up there when when she does every eight months or whatever, and just call the people assembled, you know, a bunch of corrupt morons? <clears throat> and it's kind. Does it kind of work anyway? Or yeah. Well, I mean, as a strategy, it you know, it is a, is a reasonable strategy given how weak a hand they have. They don't want to be playing this hand. They'd rather have a, a hand to play where they had a strong economy, good government, peace in the world, and a president who was thoughtful and reasonable. They don't have that. Uh, they have, you know, an insane human being as president driving us off the cliff. So the only strategy they have available to them is to create chaos attack the process, attack the media, and try to create this sense that everyone is corrupt and it'll all get lost, you know, in... And, you know, the, uh, going back to the earlier point, the difference between now and then, whether it be Clinton or whether it be Nixon, is, you know, Roger Ailes famously said his idea for Fox News uh, came out of Nixon. 
which, and he said if Nixon had had Fo something like Fox News, he wouldn't have had to resign. We live in a completely different world. We live in a world where people only listen to people they agree with, they only watch people they agree with, they only read people they agree with. The problem for Trump is he needs more people uh, than are watching him and watching his Twitter feed to get reelected than he has. Yeah. And every president up until Trump always worked on the, um, uh, you know, the sort of strategy that I have my base, I keep them happy, but I spend every day trying to broaden my coalition. My 40% needs to be 51%. And, and you often find, like my, my boss was criticized by progressives as being too conservative. The idea was, though, he wanted to make sure, among other things, that he had a second term. So he was reaching out to Republicans. And that's the way it always worked um, until the, the media fractured and we had, you everything know, the, fractured. Every, everything fractured. And now you have a president who only thinks he's governing for the people who voted for him. Yeah. Jill, you're being very patient, and I'm coming to you in five seconds, but I, I just have one quick follow-up. Your old friends in the press, are they thin-skinned about it? Are they mad? Does it bother them? Or do you think it's water off their back that well, they let me, get... Well, let me correct you. My old friend, that is yeah. a plural. But that's, uh, <laughs> How's she doing? Yeah, just, just great. It's funny because we're, uh, tomorrow I, we, I, I'm moderating a panel with four White House correspondents, and boy, have I been waiting 20 years to turn the tables. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that'll... You know, it's funny because I did ask, um, you know, someone who's a fairly prominent White House correspondent that everyone would know. I won't tell you who it is. You know, six months in... I said, this must be fun. You have access to the President of the United States more than you normally would. You get on the front page almost every day. And I was very surprised when they said, no, it's miserable. Yeah, we don't want to um, do the story. They, they, and I, it's not, I'm not even sure it's them being the story. It's the constant lying. And it's the constant having to deal with people you don't trust, but you've got to talk to them because who you're going to ask someone on the street or your cab driver what the president's policy on Syria is. Yeah. And I think it's a, um, you know, the president talked about draining the swamp. He just moved it into Pennsylvania, you know, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. And I, by and large, I think most of the people there are discouraged and miserable. Okay. So, Jill, you had a point both to Maya and to Joe. Right. And some of it's been covered already. But um, one is, going back to Ziegler, who called the break-in at the Democratic National Committee a third-rate burglary, and now the president's calling a third-rate chief of, uh, yeah. a secretary, uh, what is she, yeah. uh, Speaker of the House, third-rate yeah. Speaker of the House. So yeah. there's, you know, another similarity. Um, going back to this difference between then and now, where we had three networks and all of them had the same facts and trusted people that we believed. We argued about what they meant, what, but we didn't argue about there being facts. And if there, as, as Joe just said, if there had not been, or the kind of media we had, and if there had been a Fox, I do believe that Richard Nixon could have survived. I probably would have been the one who erased the 18 minutes because they would have accused me instead of... Exactly. Good, good demonstration. And that makes a difference. Facts matter, and we have to pay attention. Everyone should be reading not just the news coverage, but when you read online and it says, the indictment is here, read the indictment. Read Taylor's 15 pages. It's dramatic. It's amazing. Read the decision that says this is a legitimate impeachment inquiry and you have a right to get the 6E material. Those are things that we all need to be informed about and to be able to argue. And I think, you know, we've lost a certain percentage of Americans who are gone for at least 
right now, and maybe for a long time to come, they've been unleashed in a horrible way to think that they are empowered to talk badly and think badly and what they think is okay, but facts do matter, and so pay attention and also make sure that you're not using the language that Donald Trump uses, and I don't mean just his dirty words. I'm talking about how he creates you know, fake news and how he says um, they're just trying to do something and don't call it digging up dirt. It's making it up. There is no dirt to be dug up. So let's not let them set the glossary for this investigation. Let's call things what they really are, and let's call lies lies. Now, okay, and, and uh, Maya, you were shaking your head on a number of things. Um, let me zero in on this point about the court. So Judge Howe's opinion now says they can have the grand jury material. It is true and pretty interesting that when they first started this stonewalling strategy, they just wanted to buy time to get yeah, past the yeah. Mueller stuff, yeah. which they bought. But now the, the, the uh, decisions are coming due just as our, this new scandal has broken. But, but you, you seem uh, especially enthusiastic about that opinion. Do you think, besides the... Good. Just I happen to get excited about upholding the United States yes. Constitution. Exactly. That, so that's what that I, does excite me, does I it, admit. And does it excite others? And, 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 I mean, my question to you is, do you think not simply the legal holdings, but the actual impact on the overall kind of uh, opinions about Trump and the administration. Yeah. The fact that the courts are weighing in, does that, does that strike a big blow against the White House, or do you think people ignore it? Well, I, look, so one, let, let's talk about what we mean by blow. So one is this administration has been a body blow to the U.S. Constitution. So any judge that stands up and says, and if you, a lot of people aren't going to read 75 pages of that opinion, but what that opinion says essentially is you all just body slam the Constitution and we're done now. Yeah. That's not, <laughs> the impeachment inquiry is legitimate. By the way, you didn't ask this. It goes straight to 71 and 72. And I'm going to say this even though it's outside the scope of your question. In in the judge's uh, summary of the facts, she specifically cites the Mueller report. The fact that both the Department of Justice, which has launched this ludicrous argument, and the attorneys for the House Judiciary Committee agree about the centrality of the Mueller report in shedding light on Congress's impeachment process inquiry. And she specifically enumerates sections of the report where Paul Manafort, convicted Paul Manafort, doing business on behalf of the pro-Russian Ukrainian government briefed Donald Trump redaction right after the July 22nd release from, from WikiLeaks. So I say that because she is specifically saying, and I don't know if you noticed it today, but Donald Trump had a tweet saying, there was no finding of Russia collusion, right? This is on the heels of a judge who specifically pointed to questions and facts that may shed light on what Robert Mueller himself said 
he couldn't get sufficient evidence of because of the obstructive behavior of many different people. So I, I, I think that is relevant not just for the holding of the constitutional opinion, which was critically important, which gives a lot of wind in the sails of the Democrats and certainly should give the Republicans pause as they trash, as they help support the trashing of the Constitution. But she also really goes and points directly to what is at issue in this impeachment inquiry. It's so true. I mean, we up, up here have been saying for many months how bankrupt some of these, not just bankrupt, but brazen, knowingly bankrupt they were. But the court process takes some time, and we, we say it in a, not really in an empty chamber because there are people on Fox saying the opposite. And after months and months, her, her opinion wasn't simply definitive on the law. The tone of it really struck a blow. This uh, argument by the, by the White House borders on farce, not a, not a thing that you'll see in many uh, opinions. And she really blamed, as she should have, the uh, the obstructive attitude of the White House for why she now needed to say you get all this material. I, you know, I'm the, the one non-lawyer on the yeah. panel and as to the forever disappointment of my mother, but there you go. Um, she, we'll give she, you an honorary degree. They, she, I, I did, Everyone's honorary. I did, um, in my mid-30s, get a job working for the President of the United States, and her reaction was, it would look good on my law school application. But... <laughs> um, but having said that, and you know, I read these things a little bit differently, but it seemed to me that part of that opinion was it was almost like she was trying to do a public service to say yes. these talking points are bullshit. Yes. Yes. These Absolutely. talking points are bullshit. So true. And it you know, the the eight page letter that went from the White House counsel. They are. They yeah. Are. Uh, the eight page letter that, you know, I, I read someone's analysis this morning, which I think is right, which is she made uh, uh, Cipollone eat his letter. Oh yes. And 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 it seems like there there was almost a um, conscious effort on her part to say enough yeah. that, that I think they've had they've had a fair a fair fight that shouldn't have been a fair fight and I'm going to come down on yeah. the side of what's right versus what's left or what's she right. She laid out a very clear set of facts. She laid out not just obstruction and collusion. She did, even though I, you've heard me say a million times there is no such crime as collusion, and there isn't, and we shouldn't let again Donald Trump set the words for the the crimes that are being investigated. But she did it in a really rational way, point by point, going, that's a ridiculous argument. This has no basis. There is a legitimate inquiry. You don't need a vote of the House. You don't need a resolution. And she pointed out that in Watergate there wasn't one. There's no need for it under the Constitution or under the practice. She really went through step by step and kept saying, that argument falls flat. That argument is wrong. If you remember, she also said, wow, that's quite an argument during the argument. I mean, you knew sort of where yeah. she was leading, but she did a really good job. And, and it, was this, it was the second time, not the first, because we had the New York federal court right. on the issue of Trump's tax returns right. in the Manhattan District Attorney's case, which basically said, uh, yeah, you can't ever investigate me while I'm sitting in right. office no matter what I do. Um, so that was also an astounding argument, yeah. but, a, but a very similar opinion, both in the sense of its tone and, it, and its, in its public service to really lay out how detrimental, destructive, 
and lacking in any legal analysis that could be supported by the Constitution. So I, I think in totality, it, it does matter that there's been a cadence. But the one thing I do nice want to put, say, yeah. this, is a, this is an administration now that is not only put on more federal judges uh, than previous administrations, we, he has thrown out the playbook on um, only nominating lawyers who have been deemed qualified by the American Bar Association. And we just had someone confirmed deemed not qualified to be a federal judge by the American Bar Association. So I, there are some things that will be lasting no matter what happens with impeachment and no matter what happens with the election because the, the judges that we are hearing from right now are judges who were qualified to sit on the bench. Well, let, let's, 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 let's not forget we have a president who's not qualified. Right. Yeah, so. But he doesn't get, he, yeah, he doesn't get ready. But uh, no, look, it's tr judges and, and uh, justices, you could add. Now, there, it is true that the, the Howell's opinion is going to go up on appeal, and D.C. Circuit is, is uh, I, I, a little hard to predict, but I think you can expe expect the same kind of e emphatic uh, opinion. The Second Circuit opinion, I think, will issue any day by Judge Katzman, and I think it will be also emphatic, but, but these are sifting their way mm -hmm. up to the court. All right, let's switch gears from the White House and the courts to now our third branch, focus on the contours, the point Maya brought up of an impeachment trial in the, in the House, I mean, in the, an impeachment uh, article in the House and a potential trial in the Senate. Let's start with the House. Um, so we're hearing these screams from the Republicans that the Democrats' approach of closed-door depositions, you know, constitutes an egregious violation of due process and everything Western society holds dear. Um, uh, Jill, as a prosecutor, you know, is there anything to, or not, or also a political sort of observer, anything to the charge and whether or not there is, is it hitting home? Short answer, there's nothing to it. No is the answer. It's ridiculous. Is it hitting home? It is. Well, for the people who are lost forever to our democracy, it is hitting home. And this goes back to something that Joe said earlier, which is the one thing that they're doing right is they are keeping their base. They are holding the base. They are convincing them because they only have information from Fox News and from him. And they, he's convinced them that if he says it, it's true. And they should pay no attention to anybody else. Don't believe what you see. Don't believe what you read. Believe only me. So that's the first thing. Historically, this is a totally fine way. An inquiry must be done in secret for a number of reasons. Number one, you don't want witnesses getting together and knowing what the other one has said. Which so apparently they, has happened here, yes. since Representative Swalwell. Exactly. Yeah. So you need to make sure that that doesn't happen by keeping the information quiet. Secondly, the Republicans are in the room, and every time that they say that this is being done without any Republicans, we're being kept out of this, that is just nonsense. I was going to say something else. You can say a lie. Uh, uh, it's a lie. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was going to use a worse word. Um, All right. But... We have to keep in mind that we need to know that that is true, that this is how it's always done and how it should be. This is an investigation. All the process that is due to the president is being accorded to him right now. And then when there is a Senate trial, if the Senate 
has a trial, because remember, Mitch McConnell can pull any tricks he wants. He didn't let us have a vote when Obama had a Supreme Court nominee. Maybe he'll decide there should be no trial, although he's indicated that he will have a trial. It doesn't mean that it won't be opening statements and they vote to acquit without having a defense. I'm just saying it's possible. And so we need to be careful on paying attention to what's happening. All right, so let's stick with it chronologically. So let's say now the investigation ends and there, there is a uh, articles of impeachment presented. A big topic now that I think, including in Congress, they're really thinking about it strategically, is how broad-gauged or narrow-gauged do they go. And, and Maya, I wonder if you have a thought about how narrow they should stay. I mean, you know, look, we've, we've got two years of, of grist for the mill, including the Mueller stuff that's just come out. On the other hand, we have this pristine example that's uh, corrupt on so many levels with the Ukraine scenario. W what do you think will be and what do you think should be the kind of structure of articles of impeachment if they issue? Yeah. You know, I, I admit that I go back and forth on this myself so, yeah. because it's, it's a, a genuine judgment call. It, yeah. It's a genuine judgment call. It's actually purely a political judgment call because legally mm -hmm. I would say there are a whole bunch of articles of impeachment that need to be listed in the articles. I, I, I have a, I, but let me say what I feel. What I feel is that ob obviously articles of impeachment on abuse of power as it relates to Ukraine. Mm -hmm. I would, call, I would have an article called bribery. I think Ari Melber has written about this and made this point very powerfully. I would call it bribery as well. Uh, I would have an article of articles of impeachment when on obstruction. When you say as well, you mean one count, two yeah, names, I, yeah, or well, two counts? Well, but remember, you can have uh, abuse right. of authority or abuse of power. It can be a separate count from bribery. Okay, so, so you're talking two counts. Yeah, so I'm talking two counts. I would name them both uh, as counts. Um, the obviously obstruction of Congress, I do not believe any of, given the behavior of this administration, Congress can afford not to have an article, or probably more than one, right, counts of obstruction of Congress, uh, because his, it'll just be devastating to the country if we allow this as a precedent that doesn't result in an article of impeachment. But I have a hard time leaving his obstruction of justice off the table, because in that one, the Mueller report named in several instance, instances with a thoughtful legal analysis the facts and the law that provided substantial evidence of obstruction of justice. So I don't know that you need to, it necessarily needs to prolong greatly the process to pull that forward, particularly now, you know, if they're able to get it. But I think even in what, what has been, what has not been redacted, uh, there is sufficient evidence. And I would, I think, add that. The other reason, just from a political standpoint, is some of the polling shows that Republicans get much more concerned about whether or not Trump should be impeached when they see those facts. So I think the more that that can be pulled back into the public light, um, Trump did us a favor, in fact, by the day after Mueller's testimony in Congress, deciding he had a free hand to go violate the law. Uh, but that, and then started obstructing again. The very day, right? The, the very next day, that, yeah. that it's actually, I think, yeah. a, a coherent narrative. 
that All right, the American so we'll keep plowing through chronologically, except I, does do Joe or, or Joe, either of you have a substantially different view from Maya's on I, I actually agree. what the article should look like? I agree with Maya completely. There were three articles fair. of impeachment against Richard Nixon, and they were the three that Maya just named. There was abuse of power, there was obstruction of justice, there was contempt of Congress. All of those apply equally to Trump, and whatever you specify under them, those are the three broad categories. Now, there were attempts to, for example, pass for the bombing of Cambodia, and that did not gain a bipartisan support. So if we go to Syria and our abandonment of the Kurds, which is clearly was... Again, it all goes back to Russia. I see Jennifer Rubin here, and that's what she just said earlier. It's true. It all goes back to Putin, and that's one of the things that goes back to Putin. But the other three, there are many examples under each of those categories of how he has abused his power. And we can't stick to just one, even though the... Ukrainian phone call is such a great example. It's, it's actually probably extortion under the Hobbs Act, which says that you don't need physical violence if you are under color of law. And clearly being president and making a threat like that is color of law. And it's nonsense to think that the Ukrainians did not know that the money was being withheld because they didn't have it. And they knew that Congress had passed it. So how did they and, not know? And there's know? evidence now. I mean, there's these, in news reporting, there's evidence that they knew yes. it was early. You guys seem kind of passionate about this. I have oh. to yeah. say. Yeah. Um, all right. So I detect a general consensus for a more full-bodied can, can, approach. Can I, I'm gonna, can, yeah, yeah. Can I make yeah, just sure a point on this? Because And I, I yeah. agree that this right now is wholly a political decision. Yeah. It has nothing to do. I would, I would just on the Constitution, um, again as a non-lawyer, the reason that you, you wouldn't put Syria in because there's nothing in the Constitution, Constitution that says the president can't do stupid things. Right. Yeah. He That's can't right. do corrupt right. things. He can't right. do abusive things. Um, but this is, and I think what the Democrats um, uh, on the Hill have to look at is not what the Republicans are arguing today. They have to anticipate what the Republicans will argue when it comes to the floor. And it's, I can tell you with almost certainty what their argument's going to be. Their argument's going to be, we're very disappointed in the president. He made a mistake here. He shouldn't have done that. But this doesn't rise to the level of impeachment. That's where they're going to be. And if it's too narrowly focused on just Ukraine, then we will not have established that this is not a single mistake. This is a pattern of abuse. Yeah. So I think it has to be broad enough. Yes. And I know the, you know, I've learned things like kitchen sink versus thin to win in green rooms, you know, from lawyers. Uh, so I think it has to be at least a small kitchen sink to establish that. And the, the one point I want to make, just in case I don't get to make it, because this is the thing that makes me crazy, is the rank hypocrisy in the arguments. I mean, I lived through 1998, and I lived through Lindsey Graham playing in my head, talking about, we should do this in secret, um, because that's how you do it. And I lived through Lindsey Graham talking about, this is just an indictment. Um, you know, this is, I lived through them saying, you know, it, the Republicans have argued in the last month or, or two that everything is hearsay here. Well, without hearsay, there never would have been a Monica Lewinsky investigation because Linda Tripp is who told the investigators. That's hearsay. That's classic. You don't have to go to law school yeah. to know that that's hearsay. So everything... And if you do go to law school, you'll learn there are exceptions to yes, hearsay. Yes, yeah. But every, investigators. every argument they've made 
is based on this standard that they argued the exact opposite of in 1998, which just tells you that they don't have any principles and that they only believe in holding on to power, grabbing power, and desperately trying to keep it. So that's, you know, yeah. what, what so they're... So I think the indictment is true broadly, but it really has been remarkable. You, on, if you're on Twitter, people say there's always a tweet. And it really is. Lindsey Graham comes out and says something. You go back and find it, and it's the the exact opposite. All right. I detect, by the way, a consensus for a full-bodied uh, approach to articles of impeachment. I won't. Uh, I'll just note that I've taken the counter view and have uh, an op-ed out uh, this week uh, presenting it. And uh, but it's a, it really is, as my uh, says, a genuine judgment yep. call that they are currently struggling with on the Hill. All right, but so now moving forward, and Joe, you kind of prefaced this. Look, if they if they vote, we know it will pass the House. So what, I just want to think for one question about House Republicans versus Senate Republicans. They're very different breed. Right. They're ones a little more uncouth, I think you could say. They, the uh, it, You could imagine a united strategy that just says we'll hold our fire till the Senate or you can imagine the House Republicans going, you know, almost kind of gonzo and trying to make a joke of the process. What do you see the if they see it as a foregone conclusion? How do that? What what's the specific strategy? If you have any thoughts of the House Republicans, knowing that probably they're just you know paving the the way for the trial. Yeah, I, listen, I don't, that, that's not even a dilemma for House Republicans. We know what they're going to do. They're going to try to light the House on fire and hope they burn the Senate down in the process and somehow the president will be left standing. And there is a big difference between wow, House. Wow, that was well put. Yeah. yeah. There, there, there's a big difference between the House and the Senate. Anyone in the House as a Republican who is a moderate or in a swing district, right now we call them a lobbyist because they lost in 2018. They're not there anymore. Um, so it's, you know, and with gerrymandering of districts, you've got, I think they have 198 seats. I think probably 180 of them are absolute safe seats. They could join Donald Trump and shoot people on the Fifth Avenue in their town and still get reelected. I mean, for God's sake, two Republicans in 2018 under indictment. Chris Collins and uh, Cunningham uh, in San Diego. Yeah. And, and they won. So that tells you something about their districts. So they are going to light the bonfire, and, and we expect that. The Senate is in a different place. Um, and We're about to go there. Okay. So, so I want to give that, these guys a shot first. Yeah. Um, I'll just say, you know, when we saw that mob on, yes. on Wednesday, I thought, these guys are buffoons. They're crazy, or at least they're trying, they're willing to make themselves look crazy in order to just change the narrative any way at all. But David Jolie made a really good point on David Gurra this morning. He said, no, 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 no. You got to understand each of them is playing to their home crowd and to the people who will reelect them. They're not crazy. They're gladiators, knight in shining armor going down and, and, you know, acting and acting out their civil disobedience. All right. Moving to the, the, the Senate where I at least, you know, almost whatever happens, you've got to think that, that the trial begins with the, with the likelihood of that, that Trump is acquitted, but, but, but maybe it's up in the air. The Senate's supposed to be decorous, finally take it seriously. There have been all these senators who have just dodged this for years. Where, what do you have any sense? And, you know, it's just, it's just speculation on our point at, at this point of how the Senate 
approaches it when when they actually get this bill of particulars from from uh, presumably uh, Chairman Schiff. So, I think we've seen McConnell, and we can predict what will happen. I want to just add on the House side, I wore a clown pin yesterday because that's <laughs> what I think of what happened. And it, it's not funny, though, because this is a serious part of our democracy that they are just flippant. And it is a question of gerrymandering has led to there's no common ground anymore. There's no bipartisanship. They are secure, and they will do whatever it takes. And that's a danger to democracy. I think the Senate could act in a reasonable way. I, I just want to say I still remain some of my Pollyanna views, which is how many people remember Paula Duncan? Anybody? She was a juror in the Manafort trial who was a loyal Trump supporter who said, this whole thing is a witch hunt, it's a hoax. But I was a juror, and I heard the evidence, and I voted to convict him on all 18 counts. I'm hoping that there are maybe 20 senators who will see the facts and will go, this is a danger to democracy. He's threatening our national security. He's threatening the international order, not just us. And we have to protect America, and that they will come to the fore and take action. So I still remain somewhat hopeful that the trial won't be a hoax, <laughs> that it will be legitimate, that the evidence will be presented. I look forward to the public hearings because it made a huge difference in Watergate. As the facts came out, you could watch Nixon won 49 out of 50 states. He won a landslide in the popular vote, unlike the current incumbent. And his support went from the 60s to 20. His uh, numbers on impeachment went from 20 to over 51. In the same exact pattern as facts came out. And that's what I'm still sort of hoping that even in this day of Fox News and social media and the Russians posting on social media and on Breitbart and Infowars and whatever else there is, that there will come a time when all of us will be informed of the facts and that the vote in the Senate will reflect those facts. Yeah. So, so I, I, I will... Um, I'm going to be a little more negative, not because I don't absolutely hold out the hope that Jill has, but at the end of the day, McConnell is the presiding officer. While Justice Roberts will sit up there, and it is the person who will be making the decisions about how the trial proceeds, what evidence and how the evidence is presented means exactly where I think Jill started. Uh, I think that what they will do is try to cut short the presentation of evidence because whatever they're going to vote, it just doesn't matter what the evidence is. So they're going to want it to be as brief and short as possible. You'll see the Democrats fighting that, but at the end of the day, it is under their rules. It is Mitch McConnell's call, and Justice Roberts is not going to sit up there and get involved in the politics of that, right? So, um, but, 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 having said that, I think that that is why it becomes so critical for the House for the House to get as many facts out there as possible yes. in the House process because it'll still be out there in the public when the Senate 
starts its trial. So there's an end, I think, although I'm going to ask Joe for, for a very quick just name or two. Do you have an opinion as to who's Goldwater here? We don't see McConnell ever deserting him. You know, Mitt Romney isn't dramatic enough. Is there a name or two that if you're Trump and, and that senator starts to prevaricate, you're really getting nervous? I, I don't think it'll happen, but if there's going to be a Goldwater, his name is Mitch McConnell. Um, and here's why. There, I mean, you can be Pollyannish, you can be constitutional-based. This is about none of those things. He will never consider the Constitution. It's not clear he's ever read it. He, more than anything, in 2021, wants to still be majority leader, not the minority leader. That is a disaster for him to become. And um, he, he, and he's on the, the ballot this year, and he's got an approval rating of somewhere between 18 and 20 percent in Kentucky. He in is Kentucky. in Kentucky. Yes. So uh, and that's not unusual for a majority leader because he has to do things, you know, and, and make deals. And um, the, the, the point is they're going he is going to look at what's best for his caucus, not what's best for Trump. The current dynamic for a Republican is if you do not side with Trump, you can't get elected. But dynamics change. And if that, if that through facts coming out and, you know, everything that could happen in public hearings and uh, court cases and, you know, all of the information coming out, McConnell will abandon Trump as quickly as he has to. He has, he doesn't like him. He doesn't respect him. He, but at this point, he will stick with him because it's in the interest of his caucus. And one, one other point, which is a lot of Democrats, including me, we debated whether we should go forward with impeachment. And one of the things that turned me, who, because I thought we shouldn't, I thought we should do this at the ballot box, was the idea that Trump was emboldened by what happened with, with Mueller. And there's a very significant thing that I think has changed in the last couple of weeks, which is up until two weeks ago, Trump had all of the leverage on the Senate, uh, and uh, the Senate had no leverage with Trump. I think that has shifted, and I think the leverage now is with the senator. Trump ultimately knows that these are the jurors, and you, you know, he's not that smart, but I think he understands you can piss them off, but not too much. And I think you see in very subtle ways that balance of power changing. And I think you're seeing a little bit of the beginnings of a check and balance coming from the Republicans in the Senate and not necessarily uh, the Democrats. So as a broad point, this will all be decided based on the, the electoral map of 2020, not on the Constitution. And already, I think it's had an effect of putting some, you know, a, I don't know what you call it, a baby guardrail uh, on Trump. Um, and, you know, that is a very good thing. All right. It's time for our final segment. Uh, that uh, if any of you from uh, has heard Talking Feds before know, five words or fewer, where we take a question from a listener and each of the Feds has to answer in five words or fewer. Our question today comes from Terry Marr. Terry asks, Trump has exposed weaknesses in our democracy. What specific laws should be passed, norms codified, or structural changes made so that a bad actor cannot have so much power in the future. Five words, Fed, starting with Maya. Why do I have to start? Okay, this is like the hardest part of this show. So I make it real simple. Impeach Donald Trump. 
Are you giving your extra two to Jill? Okay. I will. Yes. I'll agree with what she said. I'm taking her extra words, but I agree with everything she said. Criminalize presidential public lies. It's a lie every time he speaks. Let's criminalize it. The other is reenact Watergate special prosecutor rules and regulations. Slash regulations. Slash, 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 yeah. right, right, right. All right, normally I, have, I take the prerogative of going last, but I'll, 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 I'll leave that to Joe. Eliminate electoral college? Yes. 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 Restore filibuster? Mine is more forward-looking and has nothing to do with codifying anything, and it's very simple. Get out and vote. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thank you very much to Maya Wiley, Jill Wine-Banks, and Joe Lockhart. Thank you very much, listeners. Thank you very much, audience, for tuning in to Talking Feds. If you like what you've heard, please tell a friend to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever they get their podcasts. And please take a moment to rate and review this podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Talking Feds Pod to find out about future episodes and other Feds related content. And check us out on the web at talkingfeds.com. Submit your questions to questions at talkingfeds.com, either five words or fewer or sidebars. Thank you to the staff, hardworking staff at Politicon. Thanks, listeners, for tuning in. And don't worry, as long as you need answers, the feds will keep talking. Thank you.